Good morning, Northbrook. Today's text is Psalm 94. There are Bibles available on the table in the back. And if you do not own a copy of God's Word, please take one home as our gift to you. Psalm 94. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man that they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in a land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? those who frame injustice by statute. They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lindsay, for that. I, uh, I'm, I'm going to try really hard to uh, convince you to record you reading the Bible and then put it in the Dwell app because I, everything just seems like it's going to be all right. You can read a psalm like the God of Vengeance, and I'm like, yeah. I can. <laughs> uh, so thank you for that. And uh, yeah, just I didn't talk to you about this earlier, but uh, here we are. Uh, we are really going to miss you guys. If you don't know, uh, Karan and Lindsay are uh, heading back down to Houston. So uh, is it ne- next Saturday that we're the kind of come and go? So the Strobels uh, are going to host a uh, come and go kind of bon voyage uh, party for them. Um, but, man, I know, uh, I, I, I know Jake would, would probably say this more eloquently, and, but I know that I can speak on his behalf that, uh, man, you guys have just been 
a joy uh, to, to have you be a part of Northbrook. Like I, that I, I think of you guys when I think of Northbrook. Um, and so um, just your selflessness and, uh, and, and uh, yeah, we're, we're just really grateful and we trust that the Lord moves a man from one place to the other. Um, but uh, yeah, we're not happy about it. Um, so uh, uh, I'm grateful you guys get to go down there and be with family and, and stuff. So um, anyway, love you guys and just wanted to say that. So uh, here we are. Hey, my name is uh, Randy Fuller. I'm one of the pastors here at Northbrook Church. If this is your first time, uh, man, we're just so excited that you're here. Um, and, and if you hear anything uh, from today, I pray that you hear the word of God. Uh, I pray that you, you take that away because, uh, man, we're going to sing songs uh, to this great God, uh, and we're going uh, we're, we're to hear from him, and, and, and it's his word that will outstand, outlast, uh, that will last forever. And so, um, uh, yeah, we, we, we are uh, people that are just kind of here striving together to enjoy God and to make disciples and plant churches. That's uh, why we exist, uh, and so uh, we hope that uh, the Lord ministers to you this morning uh, through his word and, and through his people here, and so, um, yeah, uh, we're, we're excited. So, I, I, like I said, I'm one of the pastors here. Our lead pastor, Jake Ledette, um, is uh, on sabbatical for July. They're actually at uh, right now, he just texted me, they're, they're at an Acts 29 church in uh, Florida right now, and they're sitting right next to uh, a couple that used to go to the Village Church Fort Worth when Jake was there and stuff. So that's just a, a really kind of a sweet uh, thing to be able to uh, experience community like that uh, far away. So anyway, uh, I know that the uh, Ledettes are grateful for this time, but they, uh, they love uh, and, and miss Northbrook dearly. And so uh, we're excited for them to return. But uh, until then, we are going to continue our series in the Psalms. Uh, and do we have a, yep, there's a new one, Pesumber Psalms series. Uh, I'm just going to keep, and as long as people laugh, I'm going to keep going back to that joke. Uh, also, Connor made like six of these. Uh, and so, yeah, here we are. So this week we're going to be in uh, Psalm 94, uh, which right away, um, when, when in the first verse, you can kind of really get a picture of what, uh, it, where the, the, the psalmist's heart is and where his mind is when he's uh, pinning this when he's singing this. You, 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 it, this is not a, uh, a, a just a start off of, of making the, the uh, like like praising and uh, making the name of the Lord great. This is uh, this is oh God of vengeance. There is something happening right now uh, that that he is experiencing. Uh, that is immediate, that, that is evoking uh, this, this anger, this feeling uh, that, that he is taking immediately to the Lord. It's the only, only time in the Psalter that God is referred to as the God of vengeance. Um, and we're going to see a lot of uh, kind of themes today in this psalm that we've seen throughout uh, the series already. Uh, we're going to see that God is you know, our rock, our strength, our salvation. He's our refuge, our fortress. Uh, we're going to see uh, a lot of that. But in particular today, we're going to see that the psalmist is asking God to take vengeance upon the wicked. Uh, the, the wicked are oppressing God's people. Uh, and and uh, the psalmist is bringing that to the Lord uh, because his people, his, God's heritage, are, are being afflicted. Uh, we're also going to see... Um, that hallelujah, God is on the side of his people. 
Um, and, and that even in affliction and even when they're, they're walking through suffering and experiencing things in life that are not pleasant, uh, that, that, that they're walking through suffering, they're walking through affliction and oppression, we're going to see that even that is not wasted with the Lord. And so I'm excited to jump into this psalm together. God is a, is a God of love and mercy. He's also a God of justice. And, and truly, you cannot have one without the other. He has to be perfectly just because he is perfectly uh, grace-filled and, and perfectly merciful and perfect love. You, and you have to have, it's two sides of the same coin. Because what happens is, if you only have a God of love and, and a God that just dispenses grace, then that's cheap grace. Because what that does is, that means his glory is not holy. It's, it's, it's not magnificent. It's not um, worthy of punishment for offending it. And so if he's just kind of giving out, kind of that's, that, that's an Oprah mentality, right? It's just, it's just kind of love. You get grace and you get grace. You get, like it's just, it's just giving that out and, it, and, it, and it, it doesn't carry the depth and it doesn't carry the weight of what that actually is. And, and so it's because God is a God of justice that he is able to love perfectly and give mercy perfectly and, and vice versa. He, he is able to do that because he is a God of justice. And so this is where the, the psalmist is, is kind of starting us out and, and saying, you are a God of justice. You are a God who is, is uh, vengeful and uh, particularly about your children being oppressed. And I think of it as, as a father. I, I can discipline my children, but if God's going, hey, you... I discipline my children. God the Father is disciplining you. And, and if you try to touch God's children in that way, you're gonna catch those hands. You know what I'm saying? And so God is serious about this and he's serious about his love for his glory and his love for his people. So the wicked will be punished. And the, uh, again, verse one and, and two, he just, it just starts out in this way right away. We see him uh, addressing this God of vengeance. Again, only time in the Psalter that he is, he is called that. But the psalmist is addressing the God who owns vengeance. God has the final word, and he's the one that executes justice and, and vengeance perfectly. And just a, a few scriptures that talk about this. Leviticus 19, 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Proverbs 20, 22, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. And then even Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so the psalmist understands this. He, he's not dressing up like Batman and going out and, and, and being vengeance and fighting this oppressor. No, he's going to the Lord knowing, hey, ultimately every wrong will be made right. And so he's bringing this to the Lord and he's asking him, the God of vengeance, to come and shine forth, to come and do what he said he will do. So there's something happening here, again, that the psalmist is he's either seeing it happen to God's people or he's, he's experiencing that. And so we see in verse 3, 
that we'll pick it up right there and I'll just, I'll just read it. Oh Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out the arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, oh Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. And so we see here, again, the, the, the wicked are exulting, which means they're, they're, they're celebrating, they're rejoicing, and they're boasting as in victory because they think that they're getting away with oppressing Yahweh's people. And they think this because they don't have a right view of who God is, and they don't have a right view of his patience. They certainly don't have a right view of his glory. And so the psalmist is pointing out here the, the injustice that's being done to God's people, and then he says why it matters to God. The injustice is that, that, that they're crushing God's people. That they're killing the least of these. Those who, uh, particularly in uh, that, that um, environment and in, in, in that culture, it is the least of these. It, it's the ones who end up being a burden on uh, the community. It's, it's the ones that have no one to fend for themselves. It's the ones that don't have people to stand in or anyone to stand in the gap for them. And he's saying, this is happening. They are being crushed, the helpless among the land. And this is why it matters to God, because his children are being slaughtered, and this is a massive injustice that's happening and, and being boasted about. And then the psalmist says why it matters to God, and it's because his heritage is being afflicted. This is why it matters to you, God, because if your people are crushed and wiped out, your heritage, your legacy, your line is in danger of being snuffed out. And, and we know, like John the Baptist in Matthew 3, he says, God can raise up sons of Abraham from these stones. So we know that that's not happening, but it's, it's this mindset of going, I, I see this injustice. I see this is wrong. And God, I know you care about it. So come and show that you care about it. See, in telling God about the wicked, the psalmist understands that these offenses are first and foremost against God himself. The wicked are prideful and boasting about what they're doing to God's people, but really what they're doing is offending the weight of God's glory. They are sinning against him. And again, it's because they don't understand who he is. Because if they did, one, they wouldn't dare walk up to the lion and punch him in the face. And two, they wouldn't dare mess with his kids. And the psalmist understands the glory and the holiness of God. And, and he's outraged at these offenses, both against God and against his people. And the wicked, again, they, they think they're getting away with this. They think they don't, that God doesn't see or hear what they're doing. And I love the way Matthew Henry, he's a commentator, I love the way that he talks about it. He says they, 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 think, that they, uh, they think that God was conquered because his people were. Now let's see what the psalmist has to say in response to that. We'll pick it up in verse 8. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. And this, O dullest of people, that, that word, I mean, it really is translated straight. It really is stupid. 
It, it, it's, the, the, the psalmist is going, hey, hey, dummy, get this through your thick skull. You think the creator can plant the ear on the side of a head you think he doesn't hear? You think he formed and shaped the eyeball? You think he doesn't see? Really, it, at least they're thinking, at least other gods, small g gods, at least there's idols, at least there's something that they're seeing, right? Because they're, they're seeing that and they're going, oh, well, my, my God's more powerful because he's right here and yours is not. He's not here to see me. He doesn't understand what I'm doing. And he's let, let go on this, he's let it go on this long. He's, he's, he's not going to fulfill his promises. He must not care. He must not be coming to do anything about it. Yet we know from uh, 2 Peter 3, 8 through 10. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. You see, these, these wicked are, are thinking that God is, is not there because he's been slow to respond. And the irony of ironies is, is that it's God's patience. That, that it's his patience giving time to repent, giving time to turn to him. It's an opportunity for them, and listen, for us to repent and to turn back to the Lord. So Psalm addresses the wicked evildoers and says, hey, you've got to understand this. Get this through your skull. And then he turns and he addresses the, the blessed, the, the satisfied, the happy, the, the joyful man and woman, God's children who God disciplines and instructs and sanctifies. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. This is a, a, a true sign of a God, of a father that loves his children, is discipline. He disciplines his children, and he will never abandon them. In fact, it, he's working even when it looks like he's not, even when it looks like he's delaying and being slow, or, or maybe that he's not there at all. It says he will never abandon his children. Verse 14, the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage will not happen. Again, a true sign that God is a good father, working even when it seems like he's not. We know this from Hebrews uh, chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? 
If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Church, in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of oppression, God is working. And, and because of the work of Jesus Christ, we are now considered not illegitimate sons and daughters, but if he's the Lord of our life, then we are considered sons. We are considered his daughters. And the father that does not discipline his kid is not a kid that you want to be around. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, it's probably your kid. <laughs> I'm kidding. There's no kids like that. Uh, but you know, like, it, it's, it's through this that, that God is showing us, that he's molding us, that he's shaping us, that he's preparing us for worshiping him forever. And so everything that we walk through, we know that our suffering is not wasted. He's disciplining us to lead us out of the darkness, out of the brokenness, out of the sadness. And his discipline actually gives us reprieve and endurance and rest during whatever trouble we're facing. If we didn't have the discipline, it would be much worse, whatever we're walking through. If we try to handle it on our own and put our hands on it, it's just going to make it worse. He disciplines those that he loves. And it's precisely because he is a good father that he does this. Because, see, when we walk through suffering and, 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 and troubles and, and we kind of blame God for that and we have this kind of negative response to discipline, now I'm not saying we need to walk around, hey, discipline. No, it doesn't seem pleasant to anybody. The Bible just said that. But we've got to have this mindset where, where we don't blame God for the things that happen in our lives that we don't like or that don't line up with our plan for our, our life, for our families. What, whatever the case is, we can't blame God. We've got to understand that it is his love that disciplines us. He's doing this precisely because he cares for you. Because if we blame him, there's, there's this disconnect in our understanding of his love and his discipline. You know, we've got to be a people that understand that, that whatever we walk through in this life, joy, pain, peace, suffering, whatever it is, it is all to and for the glory of God. And it's all, all of it is for our good, is for the good of those who love and trust him. Everyone walks through pain and suffering, 
But again, illegitimate children don't get anything from that but pain and suffering. God's fatherly protection and care shows us that, that he loves us too much to let us walk through it and it be wasted. We got to listen. Uh, Spurgeon, I know I'm quoting him a lot, but just be thankful I'm not reading his sermons uh, on this instead of. So he says this, the afflicted believer is under tuition. He is in training for something higher and better. And all that he meets with is working out his highest good. Therefore, he is a blessed man, however much his outward circumstances may argue the reverse. And then again, remember, verse 14, he will never forsake you. God will never abandon you. He, he is always perfectly faithful, even when we are anything but. He will never be unfaithful. And it is ingrained into the psalmist's heart. Look at verse 16. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against the evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O oh Lord, held me up. Believer, God is for you. He's for you. He's on your side because of the work of what Jesus has done. He calls you his kids. He stands up for you against the evildoers. He is your strength. He is your help. And he will hold you up and keep your foot from slipping. And this is not so for the wicked. We see in Deuteronomy 32, 35, God again says, vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. And then we look at the last verse of Psalm 94. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. And we've got to understand that the day of judgment is coming for everyone. And what this psalm is saying here is that the man, who, whoever does not believe in Jesus Christ, whoever is not calling him the Lord of their lives, but instead is seeking their own vain pleasures, instead is, is seeking to uh, grasp power and, and move up in any way, oppressing and, and affecting anyone that he or she can, the one who denies God and who even says, God of Jacob doesn't hear, there is no God, he's not responding. They will be judged. And this verse here, it says that their iniquities, their offenses against a holy and righteous God and a just God, their offenses, their iniquities will be paid for by them. What a terrifying verse. And what a verse that should light such a fire under us to go out of these walls and tell everybody that we can. Judgment day is coming for all of us. It is the cursed man who denies him and has to pay for his own iniquity as God wipes him out. The wicked man's foot slips, 
but not the foot of the blessed man. The one who finds his rest and his refuge in God Almighty. When the cares of my heart are many, verse 19, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute? These are wicked rulers that are making laws and putting laws in place that are unjust, that are, that are wicked, that are oppressive. Those who frame injustice by statute, they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. Christian, judgment day for you will look different. We will stand before God. And every sin that we have ever committed in deed and word and thought will be laid out. And the price for that will not be a price that we can pay. But hallelujah. Jesus Christ has paid that punishment. He has paid the price for that sin, for the sin of the believer. Jesus steps in. He stands condemned in front of Pilate. He is executed through Roman crucifixion, which is horrific. And in so doing, he bears the weight of sin and absorbs the wrath of God towards sin, towards you and me and every person who has ever walked the face of this earth save Jesus Christ. And they laid him in a tomb, and three days later, he rose, conquering death. And the tomb is empty, now signifying that that payment is complete. That's the receipt. It's already done. So judgment day, when it comes for us, it looks different than it does for the cursed man. It is a day where we stand and all of our sins and, and, and the shame that it brings, the tears that it brings, both now and then will be wiped away under the blood of Jesus. And so if you're here today and, and you're hearing this and you're not a believer in Jesus, listen, we don't believe in accidents. We believe that God has drawn you here because he wants you to know this blessed life. If you have any questions about God or what he has done for us or why we gather together to worship him, we want to talk to you. Please come and talk to us after the service. But believer, this, this mindset, this, this paradigm shift that may even need to occur in our hearts and in our minds of understanding suffering and trials and tribulations and trouble, it's not, God's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not punishing you. He punished Jesus for you. He disciplines the one that he loves. He raises his children 
to sanctify and mold and to shape them. Christian, God is on your side. He's not disappointed in you. He cares for you. And listen, he cares about you. Do you believe that? I mean, it's so hard for me to believe. I know I don't always believe it. I was just telling Mark at breakfast the other day just how often my, my focus and my heart and my mind and my soul are, are not upon God. And I'm not satisfied in him. And man, when that's the case, it just everything gets out of whack because then I see what is actually God's discipline and I'm walking through that and I see that not as discipline. I see it as, man, what am I doing wrong? Or what, what is happening? I'm so dumb. I shouldn't have made this decision. Or what, what's happening? And the psalmist is going, no, 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 no. That, that's not it. How often I fail to run to God, the rock of my refuge. And I just wonder, do you, believer, do you run to God, the rock of your refuge? In times of suffering, in times of joy. Do you believe that he cares about you? That he is the God of all comfort, the father who loves you and teaches you and fights for you? You believe that he cares about whatever suffering you're walking through. And, and I, when you think about that, don't, don't do the thing where you're like, okay, well, comparative suffering, you know, like I, yes, what we typically walk through is not the oppression and murder and enslavement that the Israelites walked through, but, but it's suffering nonetheless. God, God doesn't care about the size of your suffering. He doesn't say, hey, big suffering's coming or you're going to endure a lot of minor little sufferings. Suffering is suffering. And whatever it is, however big or small, it serves a purpose. It's not meaningless. So brother, sister, don't lose heart. Run to your father because he fights for you. And listen, he's already won the battle for your soul. Rest in him. Rest in that. Cast the cares of your heart upon him. And know that he cares for you. And allow his consolations. Oh, I love that verse. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Allow the consolations, the comfort of his promises to wash over your soul. Allow him to minister to you in that way by his word and by his spirit and by his bride. And know that it's not being wasted. He knows what has been done to you. He knows what you're walking through. And listen, it will not go unpunished. Take refuge in that. Take peace in that. That's for him to collect on. We just get to trust that he's working in us an eternal weight of glory, that, that we're going to be better worshipers of him in heaven because of what we've walked through, what we've endured, the discipline that we've walked under here. And he's worthy of that. He's worthy of that worship. So the band's gonna come back up in just a second and y'all can come back up. They're gonna sing a, 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 it's a new song for us called Refuge. And as they do, I, I want us to do a few things. Um, you, you can sing, we'll have the words of you, you can sing along, but, but I also don't want you to be 
don't shy away from just sitting. Don't shy away from, from letting the Spirit work in your heart however He needs to, however He chooses to. And I want us to do a few things in this. I want us to cast our cares upon Him. So what, what cares are you carrying? Are the cares of your heart many? I know they are mine. Cast it upon Him. I want us to do that. I want us to confess any bitterness that we may have against God or maybe against someone else that's causing us to want to take vengeance into our own hands. I want us to run to the Lord and surrender that. I want us to trust that God alone is the avenger, which means we're free from that burden of having to collect on that. God will. Because again, when Jesus comes back, the wicked will pay for their iniquities and we will see the price that God himself paid for his people. So let that go. Cast your cares upon him. And if you're walking through suffering right now, again, however great or small, run to the refuge. Run to the rock of your salvation. Your strong tower. God will avenge. And he won't waste this. Let him teach and lead and guide you. And let the church come around you. We want to talk about that. We want to walk with you. We want to encourage you. We want to mourn and grieve with you. Whatever that looks like. We want to rejoice with you. The gift of community. incredible reminder of the community that we have, the communion that we have with God the Father through Jesus Christ by the Spirit indwelling in us. So if you're walking through suffering, if you're, the cares of your heart are many and you're not casting those upon him, if you're not running to him, why not? And if not, why not now? Why not surrender to him? Let his consolations comfort and cheer you. Because I just think about, man, what, what might God do? What might God do in your life? And then through that, what, how might he change the dynamic of your family, the dynamic of your work relationships, the dynamic of your neighborhood? What, what, what might God do here in Northbrook, in North Fort Worth and beyond? What might start today in our hearts by us just casting our cares upon him and knowing that he is working an eternal weight of glory? If we're to just run to him, because he's worth it. He's, he's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. And he's with you, Christian. Give him your gratitude. Give him your thanks. Give him your worship. Because he is good and he does good. I'm going to pray and then the band's going to sing. I'll come back up for communion. And, and we're just going to have, again, just, just some time to just press into the spirit. What, what might God want to do right now?
Father, we thank you. God, you're a, a good God. And Lord, you give good gifts. And Lord, I, I, I just confess for my own soul, Lord, that I, I, I oftentimes want to give gifts back. I don't see the good in it. I don't want to walk through whatever you've placed in front of me. And I doubt your goodness in it. And so, Spirit, would you teach me, would you teach us to cast our cares upon you? Would you help us to practice that in our daily lives, God? And, and Lord, what might you even do through that? Spirit, we beg you now. Just move in our hearts. Lord, do whatever you want to do. Whatever you have for your people. Lord, we just run to the refuge, the shelter, the strong tower that we can run to because of Jesus Christ. Lord, have your way. Through Christ we pray. Amen.